really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So as always, there was a ton of rugby this weekend, and there's a lot to talk about. And uh, this one might run a little bit long, but we'll see. So either way, let's get into it. So as always, we start with our current updates and nothing really too much to report on the home front this week, but there was one little funny kid bit, I guess. So my son doesn't yet care about rugby. He, you know, he knows what it is. He knows I, I spent quite a lot of time watching it, but he doesn't generally sort of sit there and watch with me this weekend. However, you know, the light show and all the hubbub at the start of the Leinster versus Leicester game caught his eye and he actually came over, sat in my lap and watched with me, which was pretty great. He immediately decided to uh, to root for Leinster because his favorite color is blue. And, you know, to be fair, those kits are absolutely stunning. Uh, but the funny thing was, he announced, I'm rooting for Ireland. When I finished laughing hysterically because, I mean, he's right, you know, I finally thought, wait, why does he think they're the Ireland team? The answer that, you know, would have utterly slain me would have been, oh, I mean, come on, dad. There's like 10 or 11 of these dudes who play for Ireland. It's basically the same squad, but I knew that wasn't going to be it. So I was like, so why do you say this is Ireland? Why do you think this is Ireland? Is it the guy's accent who's talking about the game right now? And he said, no, it's because it says Bank of Ireland on their shirts. <laughs> what a kid. He's stupid. People have to know. Well, Isa, I don't know if it's good or bad news technically, but I guess we can at least say it's progress. So in case any of you missed it, Luther Burrell, a former Newcastle Falcons player, this week was found to have been correct in his allegations of racism at his former club. An independent investigation took like eight months to basically say, yeah, that sounds like it's probably true. But hopefully this will be, you know, a spark at least to make some progress. After the findings became public, Mauro Itoje said that he was hopeful this could be a turning point of some kind. So quoting here from The Guardian, quote, Mauro Itoje says English rugby's racism investigation should be a watershed moment for the game, but has warned change will not occur overnight. The England forward says he has also been the victim of quote, below standard, unquote, remarks in the past, but hopes that the RFU's efforts to enhance diversity and inclusion in the sport will improve the situation. This week, a rugby football union report uh, prompted by Luther Burrell's allegations of racism while he was a Newcastle player in 2020 found examples of racism, quote, in every area of elite rugby, unquote, in England. Atoje, who has spoken, uh, spoken out previously on the subject of race and discrimination, believes it underlines the need to work even harder to ensure rugby is perceived, perceived being the key word, I guess, as accessible for all. Quote, that's not a, a great place to be. That's not what we want in our sport, said Atoje when asked about the RFU report's findings. I guess I've had a few experiences where things weren't exactly what I would have liked. Uh, I've never felt my skin color has held me back in terms of selection, in terms of playing, or how the coaches have perceived me, but I guess there have been occasions with individuals throughout my time that have been below standard, unquote. Atoje is now hopeful the Burrell case will provide another wake-up call for all concerned. 
History dictates there are incremental things that happen over time that bring about change. The more we can relate to someone and understand another person's point of view, the better we will be in our understanding and hopefully solving this problem. There have been improvements, but this is a further reminder that we need to continue to change this and challenge this, unquote. So moving on to our thoughts of the week, and you know what, my thoughts this week were mostly about the women's game. So I, I found an interesting article on Rugby Pass that I'll quote here, quote, New Zealand rugby has launched an ambitious 10-year plan to transform the women's game and to tap into the explosion of interest sparked by the Black Ferns' triumph on home soil at last year's World Cup. The governing body undertook 1,500 hours of consultation with more than 2,200 people in the rugby community before drafting the New Zealand Women and Girls in Rugby System Strategy, which was released on Wednesday. Quote, we were riding an extraordinary wave of excitement and engagement with women's rugby in the Aotearoa, the likes of which we've never seen, NZR chair Patsy Reddy said at the launch in Auckland. We truly believe that rugby is a game for all, and there's a huge opportunity ahead of us over the next decade to engage more women and girls. What's crucial is that it's done in a deliberate, structured, and focused way. So the NZR will invest $21 million in, quote, women's rugby initiatives, unquote, this year under its action plan, including the employment of six new officials around the country to drive the change. Guided by the strategy, New Zealand's provincial rugby unions will draw up their own action plans to deliver key objectives. Among the objectives is an average increase of 2,500 women and girls playing the game every year to achieve a target of 50,000 by 2033. The impact the Black Ferns victory has had on our local community is massive, and there's huge interest and growth in playing numbers, Tanya Derns, chief executive of the Mid-Canterbury Rugby Union, said. We want those women and girls to feel safe, love playing, become leaders on our club's boards, and stay involved in the game for life, unquote. Great stuff. Love it. So that, of course, brings us to our reviews. Starting in the EPCR, it was, of course, quarterfinals weekend, which, I mean, it was just fantastic. So I did a, <laughs> I did a new thing for this round, by the way. So last week, in a lot of these matches, there were biblical levels of, of uh, rain for many of these games. I realized it'd be nice to know these things ahead of time. So given there were only eight games between these two tournaments this weekend, I just looked them all up. So as I was composing this, it looked like clear sailing, no locations were predicting rain, and the games in France in particular looked like they could be genuinely gorgeous. So starting out with the Heineken Cup, of course, we began with Leinster taking on Leicester, a rematch from last year. Of course, Leinster beat Leicester 14-23 to in the quarterfinals at Mattioli Woods Welford Road last season before losing to La Rochelle in the final. A couple uh, key stats for this one, despite not scoring in the round of 16, reigning men's world player of the year, Josh Vanderfleer, remained the top try scorer in the Heineken Champions Cup this season with five. Wow. While for the visitors, Tigers goal kicking has been the best in the had been the best in the tournament so far with a success rate of 93%. Wow. So in the end, though, this one played out almost exactly as you would have scripted it. Leinster going ahead, but only leading 17 to 10 of the break, just giving Leicester some hope they might be able to hang. Second half, though, totally different stories. The home team just erupted and managed, I believe it was 17 points while down a player. So when their guests turned around and got a yellow of their own, I mean, this thing was, as we say in Massachusetts, over. So at full time, it was a massive 55 to 24 stomping and Leinster looked fully stocked to get themselves a double this year. Then Toulouse were at home to, to face the Sharks of the Celsi variety. 
looked like a tall order for the visitors. Not only had the French club lifted the trophy on five occasions, but this season they had won all five of their games, four in Pool B to finish second in that section, and then followed uh, those wins up with a 33-9 home drubbing of the Vodacom Bulls in the round of 16 just last weekend. In this year's competition, Toulouse had made more offloads than any other team, 67, and Roman Entomac had more meters from penalty kicks than any other player with 1,082. On the other side of that coin, Sia Khaleesi had made as many offloads as any other player in the competition, that was 11, and more dominant tackles than anyone else with 7, and his Sharks had the highest rate of gain line success in the Heineken Champions Cup at 63%. So, right off the bat, beautiful day out, and you know what I love? The way the Sharks players just kind of sing and like sort of groove in the tunnel before they come out, it's they look so relaxed. And I mean, especially when they're standing there next to an absolute stone faced group uh, led by DuPont and his charges. It's just such a fantastic contrast and just an awesome move by them in general. I love it. So as Thomas Ramos uh, casually gave a sideways soccer style kick pass to Entomac in their own gold area, mind you, the comms said, he absolutely stinks of self-confidence right now, and boy, howdy. Uh, to lose his ability to get the ball out of their own danger areas, it's it's just unlike any other team I know. And the, the nonchalance with which they do it, oh man, they're just so fun to see when they're clicking. So the second half saw the hosts really pull away, though Sharks weren't in the mood to roll over and managed to get back within six, entering... It was, I guess it was around the, the final 10 minutes, but that was when Toulouse dug in, scoring 21 unanswered to make it a certainty, then struck the death blow Entomac, getting his own try in the corner to make it a true route, 54 to 20 in this one. So next up, Exeter, they were back at home again, damn it, to take on the Stormers. So for the visitors, Damien uh, Willemsa, he had made the joint most offloads in the competition this season, which uh, that number was 11, but he also conceded the most turnovers at 13. Uh, Dion Forey had uh, notched a tournament high 12 turnovers, including four in the round of 16 last weekend. Meanwhile, Exeter, of course, have the most annoying crowds in the entire world. As you know, I refuse to watch them at home. 42-17 to 17 was the final score in this one. Boo! Sunday, it was La Rochelle versus Saracens to wrap things up in the Heineken Cup. This one would be the first ever meeting between these two teams, actually. Saracens, they came in having won the competition three times, while La Rochelle has made two consecutive finals, winning last year in Marseille. On the home team side, Antoine Hastoy was the leading uh, point scorer in the Heineken Champions Cup with 59, and they also had the highest rate of uh, scrum success this season at 97%. Oh my gosh. So, I kid you not, I got distracted during the first, like, six minutes of this one, and when I looked back at the screen, it was already 6-0 to nil for the hosts, but, you know, this is Saracens. I'm very used to Saris starting slowly and then exchanging kicks for tries, so I didn't presume it was going to matter too much by the end of this one. We actually had a good line from Austin Healy, who described trying to tackle Weenie Antonio as being like trying to catch a full wardrobe that's falling over on you. <laughs> I love that one. Of course, that was naturally the last comment he made that wasn't telling us that every single call was utterly and completely incorrect and despicable. Anyway, clearly listening to me, uh, Care Barlow sliced and diced his way through just a pack of increasingly exhausted forwards to grab the first try of the day. By the time we got to the break, it was 16-3. In the second half, the comms mentioned that the visitors had conceded 13 penalties over those 52 minutes, which would normally spell automatic defeat. But this is Saracens. 13 points is just nowhere close to a comfortable lead. So 
as we got to the three-quarter mark, it was Kerr Barlow again getting one down, and Saracens had gone a long time without scoring a single point. With 10 minutes left, it was suddenly 24 to 10 as the French fans sang their hearts out. I mean, they were on it all game long. There looked to be another try for La Rochelle, but it ended up disallowed on review, which basically took like three minutes of off the clock, of course. They really have to clean that up. Because suddenly, setting up a scrum with 47 seconds left, womp, womp. <laughs> La Rochelle, the defending champions, taking down an historically good Saracens team 24 to 10 in that one. Hmm. Meanwhile, over in the Watney's Red Barrel Cup, we had Scarlets at home for Claremont, and despite being 13th out of 16 in the URC, Scarlets had already beaten two French teams in this competition, and were looking for a third. Of the players left in the competition coming into this round, Scarlets hooker Ken Owens had made the most dominant tackles at seven. Claremont were on a bit of a roll themselves, however, losing just a single ruck last week at Ashton Gate in their away win over Bristol. So my first thoughts for this one were, where the F is everyone? Like, one side of the center area of the stadium looked pretty full, but that was it. Even the comms described it as a smattering of fans. I mean, what gives? Your your team's not going to make the playoffs in the URC but they're here for a quarterfinal in Europe and you're staying home? Not good Scarlet fans. I don't get it. Anyway, early doors, it was Lee Halfpenny convincing the crowd he'd scored an errant try, but I felt sure that one wasn't going to stand. Wayne Barnes, however, was feeling altruistic and didn't watch too many replays before saying, eh, fine, good enough. Uh, for regular listeners, I'm skipping the coffee jokes this time. Quote, it's the dreamiest of European starts, unquote, shouted the comms as Scarlet's got their second try in under 15 minutes, but then <laughs> they said those magic words, where is Damien Penno? Presto, there he was, almost scoring out of nowhere, but instead setting up a teammate to make this one a game. Heading into the dressing rooms, it was 22 to 18 for the home side. The third quarter was much ado about nothing, but it felt like if, if Scarlets can't take advantage of being up a player all this time, they may as well call it now. And then as if hearing me, they scored a beautiful try in the corner when Sam Costello made the kick to put Scarlets up two very, very late. It was over at that point. What a finish. 32 to 30 for the Scarlets as the comms shrieked, it's a Scarlet night! It's a famous historic night! <laughs> Scarlets getting to a semifinal of a Challenge Cup for the first time in their history. Great stuff by them. Then, it was Toulon hosting Lyon, and Toulon, of course, were coming in with vengeance on their minds, having lost to Lyon in the Challenge Cup final just last year. For Lyon, it, that had been their first ever EPCR honor and their first victory over Toulon in this competition. So Toulon's defense had been exceptional lately. They had won more turnovers than any other team last weekend with 13. Wow. While Lyon had the highest rate of game line success in the round of 16, clocking in at 70%. So this one looked like a potential contest between the irresistible force and the immovable object. Sure enough, it was a tight one. It was just eight to six as we approached the intermission, but the hosts got their second try just a minute or two before the horn, and then another well past 40, suddenly making it 20 to six as we actually headed to the lockers. The second half saw things get a little out of hand. Toulon practically scoring at will. It was 36 to 16 with a quarter hour to go. So, you know, that object didn't look too immovable at that point. Toulon, as the comm said, quote, march on before a cacophonous crowd, unquote. And the final score was 48 to 23. Lots of scoring this weekend. So, of course, Benetton versus Cardiff was up next. Cardiff were still holding out hopes for a third Challenge Cup title all time. Both teams had won three in the pool stages, but Cardiff were at third and Benetton came second, getting them the home fixture where they have been very tough to beat this year. 
Reese Priestland was the leading scorer in the EPCR Challenge Cup heading into the weekend with 44 points. Woof! While Josh Adams came in tied for most tried scored with six. He'd be trying to avoid the grasping arms of, of Michelle Lamoro, who had made more tackles than any other player in the tournament with 66. Holy cow. By the way, again, the weather report said it would be nice in this part of France. And presto, maybe 10 minutes in, this guy's just completely opened up and changed everything. I mean, not scoring-wise, but the teams just seemed befuddled as they tried to alter their tactics on the fly. Maybe they read the same freaking weather report that I did. Naturally, nobody could hold on to it too much, and it was 13-10 to 10 as they sloshed their way towards the lockers. Cardiff, they tied it up early in the second half and then got their first lead of the night, 13-20, to 20, after the 50-minute mark. But... Benetton came back to tie it shortly thereafter. Quite a game this one turned out to be. That is clutch, shouted the comms after Benetton converted a try to make it 27-23 to 23 with nine minutes left for a trip to the semis on the line. And this one, I mean, the ending. Holy cow. Cardiff driving a couple minutes into the red, but somehow it went forward. Benetton were celebrating before the visitors even knew what hit them. Even the comms were going berserk. This being the first time an Italian team at all had made a European semifinal 27 to 23. Hard to believe, but what a day in stormy Treviso. So finally, we had Glasgow versus the Lions. If you recall, Lions were the only team to beat the Warriors in the last, I think it's four months. But of course, that was back in what I'm calling the E. coli Cup. And it was a bit of an odd duck, that one. So I wasn't sure how much that was going to matter. After all, Glasgow hadn't lost at home all season, though the Lions had been looking strong as well hammering perennial contenders Rassing last weekend, 51-28. to 28. So pretty early on, there was another scary knockout. And I realized I really had to mention, just in these cups this weekend, that's only eight games, there were at least four people leaving matches on stretchers. A little scary. That was a little, little bit of a shocker. And this one was particularly bad. It was, it was hard to see. So I just felt like I couldn't not say anything. Anyway. Uh, Jamie Doby, he got his first Challenge Cup try to make it 14 to nil, nigh on 20 minutes. That was your score at the break, but as the Lions scored first in the second period, it suddenly felt like a much different game. Glasgow answered back through Xander Ferguson, um, who had been set up through some amazing play initiated by Jamie Batty. So for those of you who were watching, I really do want to know, what did you think of the decision to have George Horn go for three rather than the corner when it was 21 to 14 with just about 12 minutes left. I personally thought it was the wrong call at that moment. Um, the comms seemed on the fence. It seemed like they couldn't decide what they thought. I'm just very curious what you all thought in that moment. You know, so just, just drop me a line. Let me know if you have a second. Anyway, in the end, it did go through. It turned out to be, you know, on examination, the right call. Glasgow were able to put it away 31 to 21. Though, if you notice... The aforementioned George Horn, he hurt his foot, which looked like pretty badly, or maybe it was his ankle, on the very final play of the night. Let's hope he's available next week when we get back into the URC. So, swinging all the way down for Super Rugby Pacific and down in the Southern Hemisphere, it was round seven, a round featuring just four matches this week. We started with Crusaders hosting the struggling Moana Pacifica, and if you like drama, this one was for you. Crusaders went up 10 to nil. They looked like they were up to their usual tricks, just sort of slowly and methodically grinding teams down. But the visitors, they struck back to get within three. And then on the heels of a yellow card, they powered through again for their first lead of the night. The lead actually seesawed back and forth a couple of times before the break and then stunning everyone. It was, in fact, Moana Pacifica with a four point edge as we started the second half. Would today finally be the day for them? So in any event, quote, 
They're certainly not firing on all cylinders at the moment, unquote, said the comms, before mentioning that no non-New Zealand team had beaten the Crusaders in Christchurch since 2015. Sure enough, as a Pacifica player was sent to the bin, the hosts again took the lead, and then, you know, felt like one of those sliding doors moments where McClutchy missed a penalty that was a pretty easy one, and it would have tied things up for them. And then moments later, the home team was through for another try. Suddenly, it was 31-21, to 21, just a couple minutes into the final quarter. And then right towards the very end, the visitors had a path free and clear for the easiest of tries, but lost control of the ball, immediately going the other way. It was good old Billy Ketchup getting the nail in the coffin try. Crusaders again prevailing at home, 38-21 to 21 at the Horn Next, we had the Reds taking on the Brumbies, featuring a, a, a sort of tasty matchup of scrum halves with Tate McDermott facing off against fellow Wallaby Nick White. Got to start this one with a side note. And so ahead of time, I I took a moment to look up the weather. This was the Thursday before this. And it said it was going to be beautiful and clear. By the time they played, it was, of course, completely different with rains, as the comm said, absolutely bucketing down all day long. So, yeah, more great research by me. Really useful. Another quick side note, in uh, both these games this weekend so far, the officiating had been, we'll call it inconsistent. How's that? A little more diplomatic than a complete horror show, which was probably more accurate. So despite the general chaos of this one, it was still a compelling match. Brumbies taking the lead right at halftime, 17-21, to despite a yellow card to Tom Wright. Second half, though, oh my gosh, it was all Brumbies as they slowly but surely pulled away, extending their lead to 21 with a full quarter remaining. By the time it was all over, it was a legit blowout, 24 to 52 for the very strong-looking Brumbies. Lots of talk they might challenge a Kiwi side this year, though I'm pretty skeptical. So my Highlanders were facing the Hurricanes next, and in the lead-up, I saw this little blurb from Planet Rugby, quote, like all New Zealand franchises, the Highlanders and Hurricanes employ expansive game plans, and it's usually tight and exciting battles when they face off. So don't be surprised if Saturday's clash goes down to the wire, which was the case when these sides met in the corresponding fixture in 2022, unquote. As always, I was pretty much just crapping myself as kickoff approached for this one. Um, heading into this game, these teams had faced each other 39 total times, the Hurricanes winning 24 of those, and the Highlanders just 15. For this one, again, Aaron Smith, not in the lineup. And they wouldn't say why yet again. This was Highlander's seventh game of the year, and he'd already missed three. But it doesn't he doesn't seem to be hurt, and they won't say why. So I guess I'm sticking with my he's house hunting in Kobe theory. Either way, it was a tight one in the opening 40 minutes, at least. Hurricanes with a narrow seven to eight edge at the break. The next 21 points, though, however, all belong to the visitors. The home side couldn't manage a single point of any kind until there was just five minutes left. This really felt like the overarching story with my Highlanders this entire year. Just warning signs everywhere, every single week, even while they're winning. And this one ended up another very disappointing loss, 14-29 to in Dunedin. So the Rebels versus the Blues was our final offering in Super Rugby this week. I gotta say, I was expecting a massive thumping by the Blues, but Rebels came out and actually looked pretty good there for a while. And after Kellaway, yeah, remember him? Kellaway? He scored one in the corner. The home team took a lead around the half hour mark. Blues would answer, of course, Mark Talia. Whew, he was having a heck of a game out there, but got himself yellow carded for a high, uh, a high tackle late in the half. Rebels took advantage by scoring a driving mall try right as the hooter sounded, making it 17-13 to 13 at the break. Wow. But <laughs> second half, I mean, exact opposite. Rebels 
couldn't manage even a single point while Blues went on a 41 to nil run. 41. I mean, it was out and out destruction. Just a massive letdown for the fans in Melbourne. Their team rolling over and thoroughly playing dead. 17 to 54 at the end. Yikes. So that, of course, brings us all the way back to North America for Major League Rugby and my Free Jacks. We're back at home. Of course, I was there at Fort Quincy. We were taking on the Second City Puppies. It was, at last, a beautiful day for a match, which reminded me of a very accurate assessment of New Englanders that I heard a long time ago. So if you ever make the mistake of commenting to a New Englander that it's actually nice out, you get one of two responses. One is, yeah, well, we waited long enough. Or the other one is, yep, not going to get many more of these. (laughs) So this was another good win for my guys. It was super fun. Great to be there on hand. They they debuted their their city jerseys, which you couldn't buy. You had to uh, only, oh, today's the last day of that auction. I wonder if I'm going to do that. Hmm. Anyway, like I say, it was a good win for my guys. It didn't feel comfortable until very late on, though. Final score looks better than it felt at the time, 31 to 19. Side note, the Free Jacks player of the match, Reese McDonald, he was a force throughout this one. He added four points on conversion kicks uh, just to an impressive overall shift, I thought. Reese, of course, has been tearing it up for us at fullback all year, but Jason Potras had a well-earned break. And so even though he was included in the 23, he did get to chill on the sidelines throughout. Really good signs from, from McDonald this year. I'm really enjoying his performance. Anyway, according to the match summary that we tend to get emailed, you know, a couple days after the fact, the Free Jacks play of the match was by LaRue Milan, who soon after entering the game in the second half, made a long sprint to get over the try line to put the Free Jacks ahead to stay in the 59th minute after Chicago had rallied from down 12 to nothing to a 14 to 12 lead. Uh, with the victory and the five-try bonus, New England picked up five points in the match and extended its lead atop the Eastern Conference to five and two. Not bad. So Toronto, they were back at home for the New York part-time dog walkers, and I was legit sad to see the Arrows lose again, just by two points at home to their annoying guests. Toronto is very much struggling at this point. Maybe I'll look into getting James Dealey back on the pod to discuss it, though to be fair, he may not want to. 27 to 29 was your total in this one. So Atlanta versus DC was next. The rebranders looked pretty good, putting old glory to bed, 35 to 27. Houston then got knocked down a peg by a surging Utah Warriors team, dropping a home game 24 to 30. And then, ooh, it was a killer of a match. It was Seattle hosting San Diego. What a great way to wrap up the weekend. Unfortunately for the Seawolves, Broccoli guy was here visiting the Free Jacks game, so they didn't have his green magic at the Starfire. They went on to lose their first game of the year, 20-23 to San Diego Legion. Great stuff. Well, my friends, by the music, you'll know. It's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to Rory Darge. Rory, I'm going to say it. You were Darge and in charge throughout this entire contest. Your 29 tackles were by far the most for either side. On top of that, you managed to win five turnovers just on your own, just completely flipping the momentum in your team's favor in a tough win. And... You were just out there bossing the action for 75 solid minutes. People always look to the try scores, but for me, you were the difference maker in this contest. So congratulations to you, Rory Darge, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir.
Okay, that means it's time for our updates and previews. Are you looking forward to those European semifinals next week? Yeah, well, too bad, because you're going to have to wait a few weeks for that one. But in the meantime, we do have the final two rounds in the IRC, featuring this weekend Sharks versus Benetton, Glasgow versus Scarlets, Ulster versus the Dragons, Bulls taking on Zebra, Lions versus Leinster, Stormers versus Munster, Edinburgh versus Ospreys, and finally Connacht versus Cardiff. Over in the Premiership, it's the first of the final three rounds with Bristol versus Sale, Gloucester versus Bath, Harlequins versus Newcastle, Northampton versus the Saracens, and finally Leicester versus the Exeter Chiefs. Meanwhile, in the top 14, it's the first of the five final rounds. Holy cow, is that a tough league? Uh, we'll, of course, have Racing 92 facing the, the, my Border Beagles. We'll have Poe versus Claremont. We'll have Montpellier versus Cast. We'll have Breve versus Stade Francais. We'll have Toulon, uh, Toulon versus Perpignan. We'll have La Rochelle taking on Bayon. And finally, it seems like Toulouse get the final match of the weekend almost every week. It'll be them taking on Lyon. Meanwhile, Super Rugby Pacific goes into the second of its three heavy bye weeks. So just the four matches once again. Moana Pacifica still looking for their first win. will be taking on the Reds. The Brumbies will be facing the Fijian Drua. Hurricanes versus the Chiefs, obviously the game of the week. And then the Waratahs will be facing the Western Force. Meanwhile, back here at home in Major League Rugby, we'll have Toronto hosting my beloved Free Jacks. And then a Texas Derby with Houston versus Dallas. Then it's NOLA versus Atlanta. Utah at home for Seattle. DC versus the New York Project Managers. And San Diego are back at home for Chicago. And now that's a lot of rugby. Well, my friends, that does it for another week, and I have to admit, it was a bit of a relief having so much less rugby to cover this week. Of course, I admit, I've been neglecting the HSBC 7 series completely. That's been happening and continued on for the men in Singapore this past weekend, but I'm actually hoping to catch up on that very soon. In fact, I've got a tentative date lined up to talk with the incredible Phaedra Knight, former president of the Women's Sports Foundation, World Rugby Hall of Fame inductee, sports media talent, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and mixed martial artist. She's going to join me in the next few weeks, I'm hoping, um, as well as another tentative chat with the USA's Sammy Sullivan, which should be amazing. She is something to watch. So please keep your eyes peeled for more info. So as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And as always, be well.